We're going to turn to Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15 this morning. And uh, last week, um, it was kind of ironic. I'd never done this before, uh, at least to my knowledge. Uh, <laughs> anything's possible. But um, I prepared a different passage than I spoke on. And uh, it was a little rough, I'll admit, because you have to put some thought into things. So uh, I thought we would come back and revisit how to interrogate the Scriptures. When you read, there are certain questions you need to be asking. And those questions will lead you to a deeper understanding of the Scripture. Now, last week, we looked at a particular verse, most especially. um, But this week... We're going to look at an entire passage because sometimes the uh, interrogation, the interrogatives, lead us further into the passage than just a single verse. And that's true of this passage beginning in Ephesians 1, chapter 15, but it actually goes all the way through chapter 2, verse 9. And I chose this for a number of reasons, and one of them is to point out to you the um, very real possibility that a thought or a passage of Scripture goes past the chapter divisions. And remember that the Word was inspired, the very words of Scripture were inspired, but the chapter divisions and verse divisions were added Uh, in order to help us find our place more easily around in the Scripture. Wouldn't you um, have difficulty if we just simply said, uh, somewhere in the Old Testament, uh, beginning with the Lord is my shepherd. Well, if you didn't know the 23rd Psalm, you would not know uh, how to go there. That's how the Jews differentiated. They quoted the first line of a particular passage. But uh, for us, the chapters and verses have been added. So it's very easy to say, go to Ephesians 2.1, and we know how to find that. However, that does not mean that's the beginning of a new thought or a new sentence. Sometimes our dividers of Scripture uh, did not do so well in that regard. And the other thing that's kind of interesting about this is not only does this passage cross over the chapter division, but the sentence crosses over the chapter division. This is the longest sentence in the Bible, to my knowledge. It begins in verse 15 of chapter 1, and it goes all the way to verse 9 of chapter 2. One sentence. Uh, I have a problem with writing very long sentences. And uh, when I was in college and I was writing those long sentences, you know, I would get marked off. And I made the appeal once that, um, well, Paul did it in the Bible, so it must be okay. And uh, the answer I got was, yes, but he was writing by inspiration, and I don't think you are. So (laughs) I had to make my sentences shorter. But anyway, um, actually, if you could see the original language of chapter 2... Uh, It says, and you being dead in your trespasses and sins. In other words, 2-1 is tied to what went before. The surpassing greatness of his power, which he demonstrated when he raised Christ from the dead. And you, 
being dead in your trespasses and sins. So this morning, we're going to use the interrogative technique, who, what, when, where, how, why. These are the basic questions to ask of the scripture. And um, we're going to start out with verse 15. And Carrie, I wonder if you could help us out by answering who. Yeah. <laughs> who this is about and to and from and all that kind of stuff. All right, let's take a look at this. So in Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 15, I'm just going to read the verse first, and then we'll answer the question. If you have something right down, then you can fill it all in. If you haven't done so already. Verse 15, for this reason, I too... So there's one of the who's, right? I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. So who is the who in the verse? Who's the who? So part of it is I, right? That's the first pronoun. And who's the I? Paul. Paul, we believe, is the writer. In fact, right in the beginning of uh, the book of Ephesians, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to all of the saints who are in Ephesus. So I, Paul, and you. Who's the you? All of the, all of the saints that are in Ephesus, right? So that's your second answer. So you, all of the church in uh, Ephesians. Right from That actually goes all the way back to verse 1 as well in the beginning of the book. So the pronouns, looking at the context of the passage, who are the who? Paul speaking to the church. And now we'll go to the what. What is he doing? What is Paul doing? From verse 16. He's giving thanks. For what? For you. And also... Making mention in my prayers. So there's the blanks right there. So you have I, Paul, and you, the Ephesian church, in verses 1 and 2. And what is Paul doing? He's not ceasing to give thanks to God while mentioning them in my prayers. There you have the verbs. So those are your blanks in the who and the what of verses 15 and 16. Isn't it kind of cool? You ever get letters that say, like, I've been praying for you or whatever? We, we kind of hand that out from time to time. But here you have an eternal scripture saying um, that the Spirit of God working in me and I, along with him, giving thanks to God for you while also making mention of you regularly in my prayers. And we'll kick it over to Paul for verse 17. And so when you look at that, you see that that takes care of verses 15 and 16. And it tells us what's going on. And uh, there's two things that I want to point out to you if uh, you've been um, following my writing up here. Uh, this is another one of those words. For, oops, that did not show up quite as nicely as I expected. For this reason, what does that suggest to you? For this reason. we got to look backwards. It, it, goes, it connects to something that he's been saying. And wow, I always look at things from a teaching, preaching standpoint, you know. Well, not always, but I mean, when I think about sharing it, 
And I look back and I, I could spend 20 sermons on the first 14 verses because Ephesians 1 tells us all about who we are in Jesus Christ. Yes. Paul is explaining our position. He's talking about uh, how God has adopted us, given us the uh, inheritance of, of His Spirit, uh, put the down payment into our lives, uh, put us in Jesus Christ, all of those things. And so Paul says, because you are who you are, for this reason, I give thanks. I'm so thankful that God has, has saved you. And uh, I'm praying for you. So he's giving thanks and he's praying. But that tells us that he's about to explain what he's been praying. So the what is giving thanks while making mention of you in my prayers. And notice the first word of chapter, of verse 17, that. See how every word's important? Mm -hmm. I'm praying that. That is going to tell us what his prayer is. And so when he begins to... Um, tell us about what his prayer is notice what he says first of all can someone uh, point it out to me let me read verse 17 that the god of our lord jesus christ the father of glory may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the true knowledge of him so what is he praying that one, God would do what? Give you, a, okay, give you a spirit of wisdom. Let's write that down. What? Give you a spirit of wisdom. Can you see the writing all right? Are you able to follow that? That he would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. And I'm going to say that that includes this and revelation. So God would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Let me just ask you this before we go further, just using common sense. What is wisdom? What's the difference between wisdom and revelation? What do you think? Wisdom is the practical use of knowledge. So what does then that make revelation? The knowledge, right? It makes it the knowledge. So Paul is saying, I'm praying that God will give to you what a spirit of wisdom that you will know how to apply what you have learned. Now, this will be difficult for you to find, but that's why I have a job. <laughs> um, 
pastors and teachers. That's one of the Christ's gifts to the church. Um, but the word revelation here is actually a compound Greek word, which means true knowledge. And some of your translations actually use true knowledge. But it's knowledge that is not just mental knowledge, it is experiential knowledge. Um, I've, in the past, some of you may remember, illustrated it this way. If you read a book about carpentry, uh, you can say, uh, I know how to do framing. Okay, how many of you believe a person who read a book about carpentry could go out on a, on a lot and start to build a house? successfully <laughs> it always helps if you have someone that uh, can can teach you uh, now after you have built a few walls and cut some headers and nailed things together you're beginning to acquire what some experience and experiential knowledge is knowledge that comes from doing it and so Paul is is making a prayer here that God will give you a spirit of wisdom and true knowledge from Him that your experiences will guide you in the application of what you've learned. Isn't that important? Very. That's so important. To be able to apply what you know. And uh, I could go even further. I once wrote a paper on this in a Greek exegesis class that I think the compound epinosis, the true knowledge, is actually more experience than just the gnosis, the simple experience. I, I think it's the difference between the, the uh, carpenter who's now been on the job three months and the carpenter who's been on the job five years. Uh, that person has more knowledge, richer experience than the person who's only had a few months doing it. So you can have head knowledge, you can have experiential knowledge, or you can have real experience uh, over time. And God gives you wisdom. That's Paul's prayer. That God will give you wisdom in applying what you've learned day by day as you trust him. So, then he breaks into another section of prayer. And, uh, Carrie, what is, uh, what is he asking God to do uh, following this? Okay, so this is in verse 18 and 19. By the way, if you didn't get the who, did you guys get the who? Did you guys fill that one out on your own for verse, for verse 17? Who's the who? God, right? God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And there's a second phrase about him, too. Who is what? Also, the Father of glory. Those are the, your two blanks if you didn't get those two, okay? So now in verse 18 and 19, amazing verses. I also pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. So there's a what, right? What's he praying? That the eyes of our heart might be enlightened. And now we're going to ask the why and the what's of what he's praying about. Because he gives us some answers to this. I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. 
So there's three little phrases in there. So number one in verse 18, what is the what? I'm praying that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. So this is right in line with this revelatory knowledge of us. I actually envision it kind of like Mary. I love that story of Mary and Martha because apparently Jesus would visit their house regularly. Wouldn't it be cool? Like if he came to town and he's like, I got to go to your house because we're having, we're going to have dinner. And then, um, and Martha was busy and Mary was sitting at his feet. And so that's part of what we do in our, in our faith walk with God, that we actually sit at his feet and we experience him and we gain this revelatory knowledge in our relationship. We say that Christianity isn't about a series of, of, um, of theological things that we memorize, but it's more of a relationship. And in this verse, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Why? Number one, so that you will know the hope of his calling. That's why number one. What's why number two? That you will know the riches of his glory, of his inheritance. These things are huge. These are life-changing experiences that he's praying for. And this is cool, too, because it's not just Paul praying, but the Holy Spirit praying. So these are one of these things that when we pray these sorts of prayers for one another, I believe the answer is yes. And then the why number three, that you will know what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. So those are the three whys. I'm praying that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Now, I haven't done the what's. So I'm going to actually hand that one over to Paul. So I'm just giving you every other. So A, pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Why? A, one, that you will know the hope of his calling. B, why two, that you will know the riches of his glory and his inheritance in the saints. And why number three, that you will know the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. We do not serve a powerless God which he's been illustrating in the book of Ephesians chapter 1 all along the way. And by the way, a lot of this is the 90% answer. When I ask questions like in our youth program, usually the kids just yell out now, it's Jesus, you know what I'm talking about? Because it's the 90% question that you you get. And he's right at the center of all of this, right? A lot of this is centric around the, the, the living word of God, of Jesus, being magnified through what he has done and the demonstration of his living power in our lives. So I'm going to hand it over to you now to do the what's. So you know the background of that story, right? There's a junior high teacher with his Sunday school class, and he's talking about God in nature, and he holds up a picture of a squirrel. And he says to the class, what is this a picture of? And there's just dead silence. And he has to coax them and kind of, come on, what is this a picture of? And um, finally, one little boy timidly says, well, I know it's Jesus, but it looks like a squirrel. <laughs> That's kind of how we roll, too. <laughs> so so the answer is always Jesus. If you don't know, you can answer Jesus. Okay, so uh, that you may know the hope of his calling. Now, we're going to leave this with you here in just a couple minutes, and you can finish this whole study on your own, but I want to point out the what's. Why is, uh, why is he praying uh, that they'll have a spirit of wisdom and revelation? First of all, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. 
Now, what is that all about? Well, what is the calling that God has in you in Jesus Christ? To be like Him, to walk with Him, to uh, manifest His presence, to spend eternity with Him. All of our hope in the gospel is wrapped up in Jesus. It may look like the gospel, but it's really Jesus, because he is the good news, and it's all wrapped up in him. So the hope of his calling is everything that belongs to us because of Jesus. Paul says, so you have to go back to the beginning and keep this outline that's developing in your mind. I'm praying that God will give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the true knowledge of him that you may know the hope of His calling. That that you may understand who you are in Jesus Christ. Really important. Because if you don't know who you are, you don't know what's possible. But if you know who you are in, in the presence of God, wow! And then He says, I'm praying that you will... know and understand the riches of the glory let me ask you a question here whose inheritance his inheritance in the saints that's not your inheritance directly that's his inheritance and what did God do for him as a result of the cross. Well, you can read the book of Hebrews and find out so much that that God has highly exalted him, that God has given us to him as his prize. We are his bride. This we are his inheritance. And that we can know the glory that we have as his inheritance. Now think about that. You could meditate on this all week long. You know, sometimes you need to read scripture just to get the whole big picture. And sometimes you need to dial in like a microscope and really focus on a a, a single phrase. And Paul says, I want you to know the hope of his calling I want you to know the riches of the glory of His inheritance in you, in the saints. And then he says, I want you to understand and be able to apply the surpassing greatness of His power. The surpassing greatness of His power. And what does Paul liken that to? As you read the rest of the passage, which he demonstrated when he raised Christ from the dead. Now, why does Paul use the resurrection of Jesus as the illustration of the power of God? Why do you suppose? Anybody have a idea pardon he overcame death i mean lazarus came out of the grave but poor guy he died again otherwise 
he'd be in church somewhere this morning. Um, but Jesus overcame death, never to die again. Amen. What else did he do? He's raised and seated at the right hand of God. What else did he do as a result of the resurrection? Don't be afraid. I'll tell you if you're wrong. (laughs) Okay, he defeated sin. So, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he defeated sin and death to give us life. And now he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And what is that like? Far above all rule and authority and principality and power and every name that is named both in heaven and on earth. He is seated above them all. So Paul says, I want you to understand the surpassing greatness of his power which he brought about when he raised Jesus from the dead, and here's that all-important chapter change, which really is a participle taking us into chapter 2, which he brought about when he raised Christ Jesus from the dead, and you. So it wasn't only Jesus that was raised, we were raised with him and seated in him, in heavenly realms. And so we today, this morning, in Jesus Christ, are seated in heavenly realms. You say, how can I be there and here? Well, part of the problem is that we think in terms of space, you know, heaven's up there and I'm down here. But this is in terms of kingdom authority. Okay, and this world has the prince of the powers of the air, that's Satan and his demons. In this world, principalities and authorities, powers and dominions, and every name that is named in heaven and earth. Okay, we with Jesus sit in this plane, in a position of authority because of our relationship to Jesus Christ. We are in Him. And we have, because of Him, authority over the powers of darkness. You know, Paul goes on to say in chapter 2, You once walked according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. You used to be like that uh, and dead in your trespasses and sins, but God has made you alive in Christ Jesus. And for by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God that no one should boast. So God has made you alive. Well, how many of you are finding this helpful? How many of you are lost in space? How many of you are in the heavenlies? (laughs) Those heavenlies, okay. All right. Well, listen, you have an opportunity this week 
uh, to, uh, if you're not onto anything else particular, you can take this passage and you can go to it and begin to focus, continue to ask these questions, continue to delve into this. Um, it's important that you learn to read the scriptures and interrogate them with the anointing and aid of the Holy Spirit who is our teacher.